Welcome to the Rev Thinking Podcast. I'm Tim Thompson, founder and chief revolution thinker at RevThink. This holiday season, we at RevThink are taking a turn from our regular Rev Thinking programming to bring you a series of six episodes from our podcast called The Fabulist. The Fabulous comes from the intriguing mind of my friend and fellow Rev Thinker, Joel Pilger, who wore the title of Global Consultant to the Fullest and embarked on a journey to uncover the stories of some of the world's most interesting studios and production companies. His interviews, deeply insightful and distinct, are a capsule collection of legacy conversations from some of the brightest creative slash business minds in our industry. As 2023 draws to a close, we're excited to share these conversations with you. Each day, for these last six days of the year, we'll unwrap one of these remarkable discussions, offering both a retrospective and a glimpse into what 2024 might hold. We hope you enjoy these narratives as much as we do, and find your own inspiration and reflection as we look forward to a new season of thriving in business, life, and career. Happy holidays, and here's to a new season of creating your future. But in the increasingly gray area between studios and agencies, the biggest news of the last year has certainly been the creation of Residence. Anchored by 800-pound gorilla Buck, one of the biggest players in the industry, the cooperative also includes six other shops and boasts a client roster of the biggest brands on the planet. Google, Nike, Apple. If you know anything about the world of animation and motion design, you know about Buck. And if you know about Buck, you probably heard about Residence, the new creative collective with Buck leaders Jeff Ellermeyer, Ryan Honey, and Orion Tate behind the wheel. Since Residence's announcement in October of 2022, the creative world has been buzzing and, of course, gossiping about the mergers or acquisitions or holding company. Okay, so what exactly is under the hood of this beast? Do Buck and these companies still operate independently and autonomously? Are they seeking a more open and communicative creative landscape or just trying to eat up smaller competition? Well, my guest today is Residence co-CCO Orion, and he's here to set the record straight. Orion was on the podcast with Buck partner Ryan back in season one. So it's great to have him back today to give us the inside track on Residence. This has to be a really interesting period of time right now at Buck, because when news like this drops, there's thousands and thousands of people that probably want to chime in, weigh in, ask questions, whatever. Um, is Has that been your experience? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I think like two things. One is that the sort of same as it ever was. I think in many ways, like residence is just a response and a, an extension to kind of what we were already doing at Buck. But, you know, I think secondly, we're definitely a very curious and open group and bunch here. And I think that also tend to have a little bit more of a show, don't tell approach. So I think my response is always kind of like, not much to see here. Like there's a big reason why we've done this. And I don't mean to minimize that. I really think there's a reason that we, we really wanted to and needed to launch residents at this time. But we're right at the beginning and we haven't done anything yet. We're just manifesting this, right? And so I think it's going to sound a little bit like a press release until you've got some actual actions to back it up. We've been communicating a lot along the way to get here and including lots of folks. This isn't happening over in a room somewhere. So I think, yeah, there have certainly been some questions and some conversations, but they've been going on for a while. 
Right. Meaning this wasn't just a um, backroom deal that's made lightly in a quick moment. Yeah. So to that press release, right, I can honestly say so many people in our community, right, which is a lot of owners, that they, they all read that and go, what? <laughs> it's like, what, what the heck does that even mean? So do you have a layman's terms answer to the question when people say, what is residence? I mean, I think the layman's are easiest answer, which isn't a great one, is is it's like a parent company, right? I think people say holding company. I, I prefer parent company. I think there's probably a distinction there, which is like a holding company is um, really not providing a lot of oversight or services of their own. And so I, I think of really residences more of a parent company and that we're all kind of working together that the intention and the actual action of what's happening is that we're working cooperatively. It's a group of companies that have come together to work cooperatively with shared uh, goals, shared values, mostly. And were you working together cooperatively before or were you competing before or a mixture of all of the above? <laughs> yeah, I would say it's probably a mixture, right? I would say that um, in the case of BT Pro, we've been we ha had been working together and then we decided to join forces. And with Giant Ant, we've been very friendly for a really long time. A lot of shared love, a lot of shared knowledge over the years. But we've also been competing against each other. And I think that that's one of the more like concrete actions that I can speak to is that we're no longer competing together. And so, you know, to answer like maybe that question in a different way for like the owners out there. And so if that is what's the main difference, right, is that we're not a holding company in the traditional kind of like um, agency where you've got a bunch of agencies that compete against each other. Really, our, our goal is, is to not, is to be working cooperatively. And how would you say overall the news has been received by, you know, friends, family, peers, whatever in the, in the industry? Certainly, I think it's exciting for a lot of folks here at Buck um, because I do think that it represents... Um, opportunity, but I think change is scary for people too, right? So there's always going to be some fear around it. And I think it's one of the things, like I was saying before, without a story to tell and actions to tell that in the absence of that, there's going to be a lot of, oh, this is this, or this is that, or this is that. And we, there's really nothing in my mind to respond to that without just words. And those words are going to be somewhat empty, right? So I think sure. the best that I can say is that this this is really like a value we are. And I know this sometimes sounds like can sound corporate or whatever, but like we really are merging in people that are like-minded and shared values. That's really what it comes down to. And that's the first stop. It's like, we are really looking for people that share our values when it comes to like focus on people and focus on culture and focus on talent and sharing that kind of cooperative mindset approach, like a very collaborative approach. Folks that really want to figure it out together. And that's kind of what we're doing. We're figuring it out together. I, well, I get it. And I appreciate you even like indulging all these questions because you're in that position of, well, I can say all these things, but until it actually becomes reality and you see actions, right? Yeah. I appreciate that. You, you know that over time, it'll, the actions will speak louder than words. It, it's interesting. You just use the word opportunity. And, and I think that might be actually be an interesting starting point to say, well, if you, for the team inside Buck, for the team inside 
giant ant or VT Pro or whoever, um, you use the word opportunity. What? How is this? Right. If I'm a an animator at Buck or something, um, how is how is this an opportunity? I'm just really curious. That's an interesting word. Yeah. I mean, I think um, again, I think if we kind of start with the best intentions, and I think that we all share the same intentions and across all of these companies, which is that we are looking to create more opportunities in terms of innovation, in terms of career, in terms of purpose. I would say these are the three ones that we all probably align the most around. So if we think about career opportunities, I do think that certainly smaller companies, depending on how they're structured and how they're owned, there can be very much a glass ceiling. I mean, that's true for all companies, right? It's like you reach a certain point and scale. And if you're not growing, um, if you're not bringing in more people that's, you know, building more opportunities for everyone, you can kind of like level out at a certain place, right? And so for some smaller groups that are coming into a larger network, they're like, okay, I can see how access to resources, access to more talent, more pipeline, more our business growth, like that these, this is going to create some more opportunities for me. I'm not going to just like level out at that senior designer, senior art director, senior animator role. I'm going to start to be able to see more areas where I could grow either within this organization that lives inside this network, or since we are, the goal is over time to kind of integrate in certain ways, there might be opportunities within the network that become more apparent and more seamless. So I think something that's exciting um, to a lot of people. And honestly, that's one of the things, you know, I think we talked about this last time. I think as a creative person, there is fear around growth where you think, oh, this is, this is how creative companies die, right? They collapse under their own weight. Yes. It becomes a bureaucracy. It's like the common story of, oh, they got too big. The work suffered. They had to feed the beast or feed the machine. And I don't have well, any I mean, illusions that there isn't some of that for sure. For sure. There are operational challenges. But I would say on the whole, we are pretty optimistic. I think a lot of folks here are optimistic and understand that when we're all working together towards mutual benefit, we're going to be looking to create opportunities, not be gatekeepers. Yeah, that is interesting to think about some of the smaller members now being part of a much larger network system. You mentioned the word integrated because certainly, yes, I might have an opportunity now if I was saving, moving into this more the production or certainly the operational side of a business Yeah, where now it's, oh, I can actually contribute at higher levels because there's a much larger entity that has problems that need to be figured out. And it's, you know, it's, to, learn, to learn and grow, that's a big thing too, right? It's like, I think that the way that we're approaching integration is really on everyone's individual terms. And we're really using, I would say, the same playbook we've been using forever, which is like really trying to be an organization of attraction where we're working hard to build those bridges and give people access, but we're not telling people to get on that bridge or cross that bridge or go through that door. We're just opening it and inviting. And so I think that's the way we're thinking about a lot of this, right? Is like even thinking about now having much more direct access to Jay Grandin or to Will and Alex at the Hudson Beck Group and or to Barton at VT Pro or anyone within these organizations. Like I have so much to learn from them and how they run their companies and how they've created these amazing cultures that they all have. So I think we have a lot to learn from each other. And I think that's true at the crowd 
for the craft people too, the craft level, like we're all inspired by each other, but now to be able to actually be invited in the Slack channels and be learning along the way is, I think when we talk about opportunity, it's a lot of that is thinking about more of a growth mindset. And I think most people here have a growth mindset, right? That's why they're here. Now, yeah, now you're hanging out with those peers that maybe you had, you could hang out with over dinner or drinks or something, but now you're actually like, hey, let's get in and see how the sausage is made. And yep. I'll show you yours yeah, and yeah, show exactly. me mine. And now, and we're all on the same team making the same sausage, yeah. if you will. Yeah. yeah. So here's an interesting maybe way to even pull back a bit. I'm curious if, and I, and I know for people listening that Ryan is not with us, but maybe you can speak a little bit on his behalf. Was there a moment where one of you or both of you had an aha that was the genesis of this whole residence thing? Or where did the first manifestation of this start to show up? I'm trying to think of the, the phrase for that. It's slowly and then all at once. Or yes. it does feel like it's gradually and then all at once. So I like it's, I said, the, uh, it's the already, but not yet. <laughs> yeah. And I think Jeff Ellermeyer is our other partner too. I think that we've all been doing this work all along. We've been seeing a lot of growth at Buck over the last 10 plus years. And we saw a lot of transformation in our industry that was, I would say, reflected very much within our virtual walls. And we talked about this last time too, right? It was like, as soon as like that dynamic was switching, mostly I would say for Buck and maybe for the world driven by Silicon Valley and all the disruption and opportunity there and power being centralized there, we started to see a lot more direct-to-client relationships. And in that story for us, there was a ton more opportunity because we were just building these relationships as opposed to being treated like vendor. And so that's a transformation that we've seen over time, but also in some ways, the way we always worked. And so that's where I always like, I think we also touched on this last time. That's where I see, I, I would say like equal parts luck and vision, right? Where it's like, we always have worked very collaboratively and resisted at the time, maybe despite ourselves, the director's model. And so it opened us up to be this really collaborative place. And then when these changes happened to really accelerate a lot of growth because we were working with partners, right? Less like clients or like where we're in a vendor relationship, we started to become creative partners where it was like solving problems together, pushing into new areas that led to new opportunities and new skills and new areas of business that we were pushing into. And so I think that this was happening pretty gradually at Buck. And we really were starting as a result. We were starting this. We used to operate much more as federations across offices. We were, you remember in the before times where we had offices and we were like territories and all of these things. And sure. And it was, we really were like separate companies in a lot of ways. In some ways, we were a parent company that was Buck and we had Buck New York and we had Buck LA and then we had Buck Sydney and by the time Buck Amsterdam came around, we had already been doing, I would say, this work, which was like, essentially, how do we honor individual cultures, not create monoculture, but still be integrated in sharing resources and working together. And that's something that we started, I don't know, six years ago or so, where we really started integrating all of our processes. And I, so I think there was a moment where we were like, okay, we could just start a new office 
from scratch, but we know what that takes. We know the effort and we know the time. And we know the leadership it takes. But what we know, what if there was a company out there that shared all of our same way, similar ways of working and similar values and had similar cultures and enough that we could, as Jeff would say, start on second base. And I think there, so this was work that we had been thinking about and talking about for a while. The giant Ann and Jay and I and Ryan have been probably, this is one of the longest courtships in history. I think we sort of been talking about this for a while and we are so similar in a lot of ways. But I think there was an aha moment around some M&A activity that's happening right now. There is consolidation sure. that's happening. And we've been approached by people for acquisition. And so we had to look in the mirror and be like, is this what we want? And is that model that you're proposing right for us? And I think that was a little bit of the, that moment, that switch where it's like, wait, this is what we've always been doing, but we want to do it in a way that is true to us. We want to, we want to work in a way that is going to adhere to our values. And that's more focused on people and less focused on purely on profit. Yeah. Purely well, you're, which you're, isn't to say that money isn't part of it. And I know I've followed some of the Twitter threads and heard some people saying, oh, this is just a money play or whatever. And like, yes, we're running a business for sure. But that's always been the amazing results of the way that we work is the money part of it. Do you mind if I just ask, if I, as I go through the names, what's the quick one-liner? How would you describe anyways? What do they do? They're a creative agency that's very focused on international talent. So they, because of their association with It's Nice That, they can really, hence their name, they can work with and have worked with talent anywhere in any way. Yeah. And now I'm looking at, if you could, how would you describe them? They're a job sport. So they're a place to find jobs in the creative, in the creative industry. They're, as in many of these companies, they're based in London and they're very UK focused. We're excited to extend that wider but they're a very valued and trusted creative jobs board. And then Giant Ant, I know it, they almost go without needing no introduction, but how would you uh, Giant Ant to someone who doesn't know who that is? Yeah, I would say that they're a very story-focused art design and animation studio. And then It's Nice That, how are we going to describe them? So It's Nice That has a broader global reach. They really do have a much broader global reach. But they're very respected creative media company. So they are more, they, I think, are known for their website. It's nicethat.com. But yep. they had several kind of media platforms within that. So they run a speaker series called Nicer Tuesdays, which started and still is on Tuesdays in London with kind of creative talks. But during the pandemic, they extended that to an online presence that's become much broader reaching. Uh, and then they have a few kind of other platforms within It's Nice That as well. So I would call them a media company. And then D VT Pro Design. VT Pro Design is an experience company focused really on in-person activation. So they're like a very innovative experience-based company that, that does IRL stuff. IRL, okay. <laughs> And then last but not least, Creative Lives in Progress. What's, what's the quick description of what they do? So they're really a creative careers resource. So they're focused on, like I was saying earlier, demystifying 
creative careers and providing resources, especially for underrepresented groups in, in the creative industries. Okay, got it. Do you think residence is something that will strengthen our industry? And I know that's a big term, but I've heard from certainly a lot of smaller studios that say, this sounds like it's just going to make it harder for me to compete against Buck. Is there a silver lining for the smaller shop out there of what residence it's creating? Yeah, I think, again, it's to get into some of these lofty aspirational terms, I'm a little uncomfortable, but that is the mission. That is the goal, right? Is like we really are working to add more value to the creative industry, right? I think we are in opposition and in resistance and kind of always have been to the race to the bottom, right? Like we've always resisted thinking of ourselves as a line item or something that can just be competitively underbid and really work to sort of champion the value of creativity and the impact that creativity can have on business. And I know a lot of people say that, certainly a lot of agencies say that, but I think that we really truly do believe that like the creative people, the value of these creative careers and building these creative careers and showing what is possible. And we've seen that in Buck's story with our clients, the impact that we can have um, on their businesses. And there's a reason that they want to work so closely with us because they're really working creatively to solve these problems. And there's a ton of value. And I think that we all work for some, I think this industry, we've seen a big story of this shift, like I was saying, towards tech companies. And a lot of these tech companies, some of them are, I would say, creative at their core, but a lot of them aren't. And I think they recognize, they really see there, a lot of them are engineering companies. They've started to bring in agency folks and bring in more creative companies, but they're still, they still really recognize like the value of having, being able to go to companies that can have, that are really nurturing and employing like very creative people to help solve their problems, whether that's through craft or through ideas or through strategy or all these different areas. And so really we are in the service of bringing a value. That's what we believe. We believe that has real value and we don't want to see that consist as media has expanded. There's a tendency to want to do that cheaper and faster. And of course we all respond to those market conditions, but what we don't want to see happen is that that to just become more and more devalued because we really do think that there's a ton of, of value in what we do. So I would say that is the kind of like loftier mission is to establish that and establish some gravitas for that and to help build that and nurture what we believe in rather than a race to devalue that in the service of kind of a reduction of time and an expansion media. Yeah, I actually, I'm just going to say I'm an, a an ally with you <laughs> on that mission very much so because you're right. There have been these divergent trends of as options and technology and commoditization, all these forces are in play, as you described there, it can be a race to the bottom, but I think there are those of us that know there's tremendous value being created and how can we be part of a tide that's rising all yeah. the boats. And that's what I hear you saying is sure. You guys are running a company and you're running a business and you're going to be tough to compete against, no doubt. But I'm glad that your play is not the opposite called, oh, we're going to 
become a whole lot cheaper and undercut everybody. Imagine if that was the the news, yeah, and that was the strategy. <laughs> president. And there are, there are companies out there that are doing that for sure. And I think that like we've never, we've always been more of a value play for better or for worse. I think people, we probably have a reputation as being expensive, but we're fine with that. The scale at which you are able to operate in you, meaning Buck or residents now even more so, is it's probably difficult for others to appreciate that it's not just, oh, we have more bodies. There's actually systems and methods and approaches to solving problems at that scale, which are very fundamentally different than solving a problem that's one-tenth that size. Do you think there are other studio or production company owners out there who might not think in these terms, they might not relate to this journey, this trend we're starting to see, right? Maybe of mergers and acquisitions, these things. But is there an overall strategy that you would say should actually inspire them when they look into the future? That this is perhaps our industry is evolving and this is part of the evolution and how things are shifting. Is there something you could say that makes us say, oh, that's why I'm excited about that? I think that it's really easy for me to Sometimes, as we all do, probably like have these competing voices in my head of being really excited and inspired by the future. And then at the same, in the very same moment, hold a lot of dread and fear around the future, right? And I think that's, uh, you know, honestly, that's a pretty interesting place to be, which is really where we are right now. We're in a really disruptive time. And I think if we look back and we think about those of us who have enough gray hair to have lived through some other like disruptive times, it's weird when you're in them, you don't necessarily see them. And, but it's, it sounds businessy, but it's like, it's those times are full of so much opportunity. If you can be bold and you can be brave. And I think that as a studio owner, who's responsible for so many people. And I think if you're doing your job right, you really care about those people and you're really nurturing those people, that can be debilitating because you're really worried about them, right? You're really like, you don't want to take those risks because, and so I have a ton of empathy for that. And I think that, I don't know that I have a lot of like advice other than to just listen, definitely to the advice that, that my partner Jeff says sometimes is he doesn't want to be first. He's much happier being second the third to the party. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's pretty good advice. You don't want to be last for sure. And so I think we see this with all these disruptive technologies like NFTs or AI, like we should be learning those. We should be, we should be honestly using these tools and these things and understanding them to see if they're ripe for us, if they're aligned to our values, if they're going to be useful to us, if they're going to be useful to the create, if they're going to be totally screwing what we're doing in some way, we need to retack or rethink, but we shouldn't be burying our heads in the sand and being like, I think, totally decrying them because it's also new and the jury's still out. And if you're not, I'm not going to say embracing them, but if you're not like actively engaging, then I think that's where the fear probably comes in. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I'm now almost hearing again some of when you talk about your optimism and to a certain extent, I don't know if I want to call it pessimism, but just the there's a realism too of we are living in really 
great, but also really weird and sad times. Scary. Often, yeah, scary right? Scary scenario. times. Yeah. yeah. So is there, like, would you, are you starting to enter a stage of your career or your life where you're starting to say, hey, I've only got so many years and this is part of what I want my life to be about. And dare I even say the word legacy? I don't want to talk about your demise before it's here. But is this like part of what you're now feeling like, man, this is what I've always really wanted to do in life? Yeah, no, well, now we're getting on the couch here a little bit, Joel. I know yeah, this, is what you do. this is what you do. This is what you do. That's right. <laughs> and, the um, therapist. Yeah, I would say that I'm getting much more comfortable lately with my own demise. <laughs> Facing my own demise. I would say that I am I am finding a lot more value and purpose in just recognizing that I people call it a midlife crisis, but I would use the word crisis. It's a transition and like transitions can be uncomfortable. I think change is naturally uncomfortable for people, which is weird since life, that's what the universe is built on is change. Mm-hmm. So I sometimes wonder why we're wired that way. But I would, I would say that, yes, I am recognizing that I both look and act like an elder these days. And, and I'm finding a lot of, I would say, peace and purpose in recognizing that. And that that's where I'm valuable and impactful is being able to be in conversations and listen and offer whatever advice I've learned over the years. And I'm finding that I'm less interested and less impactful and valuable in actually you in any sort of unilateral decision making, especially fuck at our scale. So um, it's like it's I don't know. I guess it's getting a little bit more as or existential. But it's to me that's what my career, what leadership looks like for me right now is recognizing that leading isn't isn't about being at the front and leading the charge, which is I think how a lot of people think about it. For me, leadership a lot more is about just being in that conversation and offer, yeah, offering some an ear and some advice for what it's worth, but not necessarily saying this is the way. Yeah, I'm I'm almost hearing echoes of um, Creativity Inc., the Pixar book. From, oh, Ed Catmull. Similar themes, right, of what it takes to lead at that scale. And it's, yeah, I'm hearing a lot more of like empathy and coaching and helping and supporting than it is I'm the fearless yeah. leader who made the call and everyone follow me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that there's, there is, that's maybe where the crisis word comes in as I think that that's a transition that happens where it's like, I'm not, and I'm, I find myself in the conversation or coaching role with people sometimes where it's helpful for me to listen to my own advice in this space, which is that that isn't that doesn't mean that you don't have value. Like the way that you used to identify your value, the way I used to identify my value, which was like by making things or being even being having an end result of a project. If it's this always ongoing, that doesn't soft skill stuff that doesn't have a direct result, how do I measure it? How do I measure my worth? And I think that's a a transition that some of us grapple with in this stage or I, that I grapple with. Yeah, I'll agree with you and say thank you for putting a focus on how you're creating value. And uh, I appreciate you being an elder. There's a 
I think a bunch of us that are saying, I think our industry needs elders. We need guys like us that have maybe been around a minute to step up and step into that those parts and play those parts. So I I'm, think, I'm think grateful for you. Yeah, thank you. And I think that's actually the best thing that I heard from someone who entered our organization recently, came to book within the last couple of years. And she's someone I've known for a really long time and always really admired. And she's just feels like she's been here forever. And I'm so grateful that she's here. And she said to me the other day, she was like, I didn't expect this, but Buck just feels like a place that I can just get old and get gray with everyone here. And I was like, yes, that's amazing. That's what we want when we talk about like building careers and opportunities. I think that especially in our industry, in the creative industry, there sometimes is, it feels like there's this mythology that there's a shelf life that create creativity is one person's game or this certainly motion graphics. It's such, such, such a young industry that it feels like, am I going to be doing this when I'm 60? When I, why not? Why the hell why not? not? We're still here, Ryan. We're still here. <laughs> Man, thank you so much, seriously, for the kinder, for just accepting my invitation to, to do a second interview just about residents. And I'm very intrigued with the last line in the press release, right? Where it says, more to come. So I think that's a great, <laughs> that's like a great statement to, to end the conversation with. And please give my best to, to Ryan and Jeff and the rest of the team. And thank you again. Thank you, Joel. Always a pleasure. Big thanks to our guest, Orion, for joining us today. Visit Residence online at residence.co. The Fabulous is a RevThink podcast. I invite you to join our community of creatives at RevThink.com for thriving discussion groups with your peers, resources, and to help you grow your creative enterprise. Whether you're already at fabulous level or just figuring out how to run your up-and-coming studio, you'll find a welcoming, supportive, and pragmatic community of creative entrepreneurs and advisors. Apply for membership, again, at RevThink.com. Our show, it's post-produced by the branded audio experts at Coop Studios Music and Sound Design. Our engineers were Taylor Marvin and Alex Hawley, produced by Celia St. Amant and Eric Singer. Our theme music was composed by Jake Sproul. Visit Coop online at coopstudios.com. Your host, well, that's me, Joel Pilger. Please like and subscribe and tell more creatives in your world about The Fabulist so we can keep telling more of these stories. Go to thefabulist.show for more episodes, transcripts, or to nominate someone to be a guest on a future episode and to give us your feedback on the show. Until then, keep on living a better story. I want to tell you about a place to connect that you might not know about. It's our online community called Rev Community. It's a great place to get to know other creative business owners like yourself, to share some thought leadership and read other encouragement, to be challenged in this new marketplace, new technology, ideas, economic trends, and it's a place to research. Check out many of the resources we have online, our videos, and of course, this podcast. Join us today at revthink.com community. If you're a creative studio owner, feel free to join us today at revthink.com slash community. I look forward to seeing you there.